Hello, you've reached Bonefish. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Bonefishies. Love the podcast. I love the band Animal Collective. Let me tell you about how they've completely synchronized with my life over the years. Uh, I went to college in fall 2005 and accidentally sliced off two of my fingers in a work-study job as a carpenter. Uh, I'm in recovery. New friend from New York passes me a CDR with sung tongs and feels both on it. I'd never heard any music like this. I'm sitting there with my hand in a splint. I look at the artwork for feels. It's covered in amputations. I'm like, whoa, it's me. There's these little children being sliced in half and all this purple love blood flowing out. I'm coming to terms with my own mortality because of the accident. It was a beautiful time. I grew up alongside their music, Strawberry Jam, Person Pitch. Merryweather drops just right before I graduate into this euphoric, I'm an adult for the first time year of 09. I go see them at the All Tomorrow's Parties Festival in upstate New York, where Noah's playing ping pong in the hallway. I see him perform solo and then the whole band the next night. We're on the dance floor. I'm dancing like I've never danced in my life, man. It opened up my hips and my heart. I ended up sleeping on the roof of that building. Uh, I woke up in the drizzle. Fall Be Kind comes out. I'm driving to New York. I'm on a highway. I could keep going, guys, but whatever (laughs) happens in my life, I know Animal Collective is going to have a record coming out soon enough that's going to sync right up with it. It really hasn't stopped. So keep making the good stuff, and let's hope these boys do too. Much love. Thank you, Lee. Wow, great story. Uh, for that voicemail, sorry about your fingers, but sounds like it hasn't dampened your spirits at all. Sounds like you yeah. got the right attitude. He, he needed to hurt himself before he could start listening to yeah. know, Animal Collective. Yeah, I like the like... Uh, it was worth it. You know, sort of body horror intro he had to the band. How <laughs> it put you in the right mindset. Uh, I never realized that... Uh, the cover of Feels has like mutilated children on the cover. I know there's like children, but so they're like, they have like no limbs. Yeah, I I don't know actually. Uh, there's definitely the love blood as he described, but love I don't know it. if I ever connected that with yeah, the, the children having missing limbs. But um, I suppose that's a valid as valid an interpretation as any. Welcome to Bonefish, everyone. It's the podcast about psychedelic experimental music and the band Animal Collective. My name is Christian. Hey, I'm Justin. This is the mailbag episode. Uh, thanks so much to everyone who took the time to send in a little snippet. We're going to get into the rest of those here in a minute. But before we do that, welcome back, Justin. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year, man. Uh, How you doing? Pretty good. Life goes on. Life does go on, but not for every, not for everyone or everything, it turns out. Ain't that the truth? Just uh, just got the news that Pitchfork, certain music publication that uh, you may or may not have heard of, is 
now going to be a uh, subsection of Gentlemen's Quarterly. Uh, it's been folded into GQ. Yeah. Condé Nast has fired most, like all half, half of the, the staff half of the yeah. half of the staff, which of course includes many longtime writers. Pretty shocking. I mean, when you texted me, I was like, well, yeah. you know, when Condé Nast took over, sort of felt like, you know, this this was always sort of a step away, but still pretty shocking. I mean, Definitely. if anything was going to stick around long term, it was going to be Pitchfork, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you have the most influential music publication disappearing, folding. I mean, I can't believe Rolling Stone's still around and Pitchfork's not. Yeah. I mean, easily for me, I think Pitchfork, I've, it's probably my most read website in my life, like since college. I mean, yeah. um, it sucks. It's really sad and it's infuriating. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of interesting takes like mm-hmm. on Twitter. Yeah. Some Say what you want of Pitchfork, I guess, and what it's right. become. It's clearly changed in the past five years since yeah, it's definitely. been sold to Condé Nast. Yep. But you know, you don't really want to root for writers losing their jobs. And it's kind of bigger than like a few writers losing their job. I mean, it's, it's bad for them, for artists, for the music community, for, yeah, it sucks. Um, I guess Anna Wintour fired them with her fucking sunglasses on. Yeah. This bitch did it with her sunglasses on. Yeah. Well, she takes them off. You just see the two like gaping black voids that are, that's why she keeps it on. Yeah. (laughs) In her head. On one hand, it's like, well, what do you expect, Ryan Schreiber, when you sold this to a, a corporation that yeah, come on, dummy, sucks. Um, but there's a lot more like contributing factors. I feel like to mm-hmm. why this happened. I mean, I think tech is responsible. I feel like Spotify is Pitchfork now. Yeah, I mean, in terms With of like duration and, and algorithms, yeah, it's sort of bleak when you I think mean, of it that way. The major tech platforms like eat up all the advertising dollars, Meta, Amazon, and Google, I think. Mm-hmm. Just, but yeah, I did not like did not see this coming. I'm still shocked, even though a media publication is closing down like every other week and there's layoffs every other week. The LA Times is about to do more layoffs. Right. They just we walked have, out, right? They just had like a strike. Yeah. I mean, we don't have BuzzFeed anymore and Vice, kind of that new media bump that people thought was going to be the future is dead. Yeah. Um, 2024 off to a fucking banger of a start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. what all, End like, of days for media. Yeah. I mean, when we talked to Mark Richardson uh, a couple episodes back, we talked about Young Prayer. Uh, he was, of course, former editor in chief of Pitchfork, and he said, "I remember him saying, like, yeah, you know, it has changed over the years, but you know, something like Pitchfork will always be a result of like the people who make it up, you know." And totally, I certainly have had a a hot and cold relationship with them over the years. You know, I remember when like they gave WAP Song of the Year <laughs> whenever that year came out. It was a little bit like, yeah. all right, this maybe is. Not something that it used to be. But at the same time, like, you know, regular readers of the site, you know, know the value that these close listening album reviews hold. And even just, not even just the reviews, but the things they choose to cover. I know you were a bigger reader of it than I was. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, the when it 
there some haters came out and were like, yeah, well, this is yeah. this is just hipster gatekeeping shit anyway. So like, I mean, fuck if they them. think that now, what did they think of it fifteen years ago? Right? Like, you know, or like, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, there were a lot of interesting takes. Did you see the Ducktales guy? Yeah, dude, <laughs> Matt Mon and Gio or whatever. Matt Mondonnelly. Yeah, that cretin came out of the woods. <laughs> Which is like, you know, <laughs> to voice his opinion. Bad on. take. Um, it's just, like, no, dude, like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, you're a creep and you got canceled and that's a whole nother debate. But like, it's it's bigger than you. Like, this is this is a space that was supposed to uplift the underground artists. You know, mm-hmm. I know it, it hasn't quite been like that anymore, but it's just like bad when yeah something like this happened you know like i mean so yeah. that was a stupid take yeah I just, he was I just like love i'm glad he... <laughs> i'm glad pitchfork's gone yeah he he just vanished off the face of the earth and then like crawled out of his hole <laughs> just like he was waiting on the grave that. he had that pitchfork. tweet <laughs> yeah he had that tweet in his drafts ready to go yeah. once uh it's like come on bro you think this is gonna yeah. win you fans um yeah and then there was you know the whole debate about Pitchfork now kind of the past five years have been spent kind of making it more of a inclusive and welcoming space to artists. And now it's just being absorbed into a a men's magazine is really pissing people off. Um, Yeah, rightly so. But I bet you the move, they looked at some data. They must have looked at data about who reads it. And people might not want to accept this. But mm-hmm. I'm guessing that most of the readership for Pitchfork still is mostly male. Yeah, and I remember even, I mean, I th- some of this stuff came up because of this recent news, but I was seeing some stuff how back when Condé Nast acquired it, they were like, like they identified it. They're like, oh yeah, this is like a great, uh, you know, bastion of male uh, viewership online. That's like valuable. Yeah, it was like millennial males. Company. Yeah, and it was like a photo of like <laughs> Ezra Koenig. <laughs> yeah. Which, hey, I mean, you know, a lot of the listeners to this podcast are millennial males. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's uh, like, you know, so maybe you can't turn something into something it's not, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. also we have to remember like music criticism and music coverage is not always looked, it's kind of looked down on in the media landscape, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot has changed. I mean, you talk about Pitchfork then and now. I mean, this is also connected to Animal Collective because I mean like, yeah, I mean, definitely, other, definitely, they wouldn't have the career they have no. without all the coverage they got from Pitchfork. And I can you think of a more of a Pitchfork like aughts band? Yeah, than Animal Collective. Yeah, I think they're. I think the the prime of the sort of golden era of the site and the golden era of the band kind of overlapped pretty, pretty strongly. Yeah, and that was more of a website that was like, yeah, it was. It was, uh, I think Ian Cohen described it as like a bunch of dudes running their fantasy sports team that was basically pitchfork in the aughts. Just like, yeah, kind of, yeah, it was from a, a very dude point of view. Um, but, you know, the kind of later day pitchfork, the more corporate centric pitchfork, like, what would you consider like a band that they uplifted that was like a pitchfork band from, from like, say, the past five, 10 years? Like, who did they? like rise up really. Like I feel like they there wasn't really that many artists they kind of brought up. They they kind of latched on to big artists 
already, like yeah. a Taylor Swift, you know, or right or in terms of like plucking smaller bands sort of out of the ether. And I mean, really I guess like giving them Eve's two more kind of. I guess I don't know. I'm yeah, sure. they've been pretty on like the 100 Gex thing too, and uh-huh. some kind of acts like that. That even though they have, you know, you could say like sort of more mainstream appeal. Come, yeah, come from a kind of like underground. I mean, yeah, I think I think like a lot of the PC music stuff too, like Sophie and all that. Yeah, which is pretty close to pop. You know, I mean, definitely more pop. of a optimism uh, turn. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, it sucks. I mean, I think like basically, like, what is it going to look like now? I mean, our our pitchfork writers, freelancers, going to even want to write for? GQ now, like, is there yeah. going to be kind of like an in solidarity right. kind of protest? Like scabbing a little bit, maybe. Or... And are the people who decide to stay on or still write, are they going to be getting shit for continuing to write? I mean, are we just going to have a couple Substacks take the place of Pitchfork? Um, yeah. Is it going to be Stereo Gum now? I guess is is going to kind of be the one to go to. Like, where are artists like? How are they going to get their word out? Is it just going to be their fucking Instagram accounts now? Is it just going to be social media? <laughs> yeah, gonna have to, you got to write a 15-second song, put clips of that on TikTok. Yeah. Follow the trends, make up a dance for it. <laughs> Hope it goes viral. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of one of the things I'm left with is like, what do we do? Like, I, I see a lot of people saying like, hey, it's like, what was what happens? Like, you know, support your media that you like financially when you can. Which like, yeah, of course, always do that. But like, I don't know. Like, Bandcamp was a very direct mm-hmm. give money by the by the band's music even if it's just digital like look what happened to them Bank, so it's yeah. just like what sort of band camp's dying it's like that, now too. it's like that trolley meme that's just running over all the people it's just like you can only watch <laughs> yeah um so it feels like they're just gonna like keep the sunday review part and mm, like yeah they're definitely gonna keep that i think but um let's have some dude that like reviews like uh hair gels you know, scoring Imagine Dragons <laughs> records. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Anyway. Sort of a downer of an intro, but uh, let's hop into some of these voicemails. What do we got? Hey, Bonefish Pod. I'm going to talk for a second about Animal Collective being a jam band, right? So, yeah, for sure. It's stupid, awesome, great. We're with it, we're against it. I don't know, right? But, like, you know, I've been studying the way, like, jam bands jam. I'm not that much into jam bands. I'm sort of like a partner along for the ride, and I'm intellectualizing them while I'm there. You know, like, Fish and Humphreys McGee, they jam very differently. Uh, Fish will, like, play part of a song, and then they'll, like, jam out to space, and then they'll come back to that song. It's almost like the Dark Star methodology of, like, coming back, returning, and recentering yourself in the song. And then Umphreys McGee, they jam to close out a song, right? So they play a song and then they go on this big jam and then they close out, boom, on to the next one every time, right? And so like, you know, Goose has their own way, all that jazz, right? And so Animal Collective, I'm thinking about like how they jam in dissonance and it's the dissonance and the noise that is Animal Collective's jam and it's when they find that click and boom, we're in a song. That's how they jam. So I think Animal Collective are a jam band and there's my logic why and I'd love to discuss it with y'all or have y'all discuss it. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks and happy birthday to you. Cool, man. Jam band. I think he nailed it. Yeah. Um, 
there's definitely that quality where Animal Collective, you know, they're in the song, then they go out there, and then they do the dead thing where they come back to the main melody, like, I don't know, Brother Sport is a great example. Yeah. They're kind of jamming, obviously, with with more electronic instruments, kind of, and their voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I feel like noise is their kind of MO. Um, I agree. I also think they do transitional jams, you know, especially live. Mm. I think they... Uh, Very true. First of all, they, they're known for doing just sort of like continuous sets with like, you know, few, if any, breaks in between songs. And some of the coolest moments of some of those live sets are uh, when they like bridge two tracks with this sort of extended jam in between. Um, Absolutely. You're waiting for that moment where you realize what the song is and it's different for everyone. Yeah. And that's exciting. So for sure, yeah, kind of like the the DJ set jamming transitions are, are really awesome. Um, but I've, yeah, I mean, I think, so they're in the jam band world, I would say, but they're kind of in their own universe. Yeah. Hey guys, I just wanted to say thank you for giving the community this awesome opportunity. It's it's really cool. I just want to tell the quick story on how I got into Animal Collective, actually. Me and my friends, we often, every night, are on Discord together. And this one night, my friend decided to stream YouTube just to watch, you know, silly videos together. And after watching a video, I recognized the Peace Bone music video. And I'm like, oh, wait, I, I recognize that because I had watched that video probably back in middle school for me. It it was really weird back when I saw it first. But not only did I recognize it, but my other friend recognized it, and we watched it together. And watching that together actually made us want to listen to Strawberry Jam. So literally later that night, and at that point, it was past midnight. So this was actually going into my birthday last year that we listened to Strawberry Jam. And I will always remember that night. Like, Strawberry Jam is will always be my favorite Animal Collective album, and it's a great introduction to the band, in my opinion, at least. I absolutely love that album. And since then, since my birthday last year, I had listened to almost all of their albums, and I've fallen in love with the band. They are seriously amazing, and it led to opportunities like this, like just having a chance to be on, the, on this podcast. This whole community is great, and I'm so glad I fell in love with these guys. Again, thanks for having me. Also, shout out to my friend Josh. Thanks for listening to that album with me, man. <laughs> Great story, dude. I think there's a lot of moments for people like that where being young, being with your friends, kind of surfing the web, you know, maybe you're like a little stone late at night and, and something comes out of nowhere like Peace Bone did for, for them, you know, and it was just a gateway to this to this whole world. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, there's nothing like that feeling of like, Stumbling on something, knowing like, oh, this is my shit. Like I like I'm really into this. And like knowing yeah. that there's like a whole world out there to dive into and discover when like and like you're just the beginning. I love that feeling. Yeah. I think I think the band gets that too. Like, you know, like when I was, I don't know, in high school or middle school, you know, like watching MTV or VH1 or something pops up like, you know, I don't know. Green Day or Eminem or something or Limp Bizkit or and you're like wow or like you know being introduced to like hey have you ever tried to sync up Dark Side of the Moon to the Wizard of Oz you know and like um, I know those are 
those are moments like the band has had. And I think that was their intention they were talking about when they did their first late night performance. Was it Conan? There's that famous meme of like... Number one. Number one. And yeah. the caption says... Like woman vocalizing. Backwards. Backwards. Backwards talking. And I think the reason why they played that song, like one of the more weirder songs on Strawberry Jam, was to like reach that like stoned young person on the couch late at night. It was like for them. You right. know, that was like them speaking to them, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Kind of trying to break through the noise of the, the regular. Yeah. And that doesn't really happen anymore. Like, you know, it's now it's just on your phone. Whenever it comes, it comes or you got to look for it or it's yeah. just lost in the noise. Yep. I am procrastinating at work. I got like three cups of coffee in me and I want to pitch you something. I think I've pitched you this before, but like... Fuck it! I'm gonna pitch pitch you again. I think I think the bo- the Bonefish Podheads want to hear an episode dedicated to the musical theory brilliance behind Animal Collective. So you could have someone come on, could be me, playing along like just segments of Animal Collective songs, and then like talk with a music nerd, music theory nerd, about why these sections of this of the song work in our are like, and they go beyond what you usually see in like pop structure. So for example, you could, you could, this is a section that I've been obsessed with more recently. It goes, uh, I'm getting lost in your curls. I'm getting crushed out on the things that only I should see. Not for boys just for me. This is the cool part right here. I can see you grow your fists and you pull your hair when we're alone. I wanna say, let's just stay in. There's no one here in our apartment. That chorus, man, hits so hard because of like what they're doing with the chords and the pre-chorus. But I don't understand what they're doing because the verse and the chorus are both in C. So it's not like they're changing the key or anything. I don't know, like I wanna understand why going to that weird that weird chord selection makes that chorus slap so hard. The bone fish heads wanna know, man. Great topic. Um, Beautiful we, little acoustic cover. Didn't yeah, want that to end. Yeah, that was that was really sweet. Um, Let's get a full version. Totally agree. Um, we need a music theory nerd to kind of explain the themes and a te- technical aspects in their songs. I know the band. I remember listening to one like podcast where I think Geo and Panda um, kind of discussed. They like consulted a friend who's like a music theory guy and kind of told them like, okay, here's what you guys are doing. And this is a long time ago. I don't remember what the takeaway was. I am not a trained musician. Um, I play music, but I don't know like usually what, what I'm playing or like the theory or 
Yeah, there's something about the sequence of the chords in Bluish that's really amazing. And in a lot of their songs, like the way they build and the momentum. And I don't know, Christian, you could probably speak to this a little bit more. Uh, you're the learned musician, but um, uh, sort of barely learned. I mean, yeah, I could, I could, uh, I'll take a whack at the bluish chords. So for playing it in D, which is, I believe, the key that the song is in, for the verse, we're just in the key of D the whole time. So we've got D, add the major seventh, and then E minor. That's just a two. Then we got the four chord, G, back to E minor. And then A, the fifth. And back to D. So that's all just happy, good, normal. The part you're talking about sounds so funky cool because we leave the key of D entirely to, I believe, the key of F. And uh, F major is not even in the key of D. We have F sharp is the third. But so, so leading up to that, you know, we've got... When we're alone, I want to say so D, G, still in D, all good. Then here we go, F, B flat, and then C. All chords not in the key of D. Let's just stay in. No one's here in apartment, babe. <laughs> so that last chord sounds kind of weird because we go from C back to A major which again is the five chord of the key of D, our starting key. And it always feels like a nice sense of resolve when we go from that five back to the one, which we do in that pre-chorus leading into that chorus. So it's... So yeah, hope that helps. Hey, Bonefish Pod. This is Johnny calling in with my experience with Animal Collective. One of the first memories I have of Animal Collective is, or one of the fondest memories I have is watching old footage of Malta Festival, which I believe was in 2006. Just a, a lot of footage of of videos I had gotten through Collected Animals before it was all on YouTube. And one of my favorites is definitely the Here Comes the Indian or ARC live footage video that's on YouTube. It's about a few minutes long and it's, I believe, a user called We Damage We from a show back in 2002. And I was wondering what you guys thought about the rest of that footage ever coming out or when you guys think Animal Collective is going to release stuff such as like old video footage, old, you know, audio. I know we've, we've got a few like ballet slippers and stuff like that, but I guess more in terms of video. Yeah, around what, when do you guys see them releasing something like that or maybe like a Animal Collective documentary made by themselves or something like that. I can kind of see them doing a little, maybe not mini-doc, but a little video or movie or whatever, just, you know, old footage and stuff like that, kind of like a a version of the Animal Crackbox, but on video. That's my, I guess, 
question slash experience. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Kind of hard for me to imagine Animal Collective doing like a documentary on themselves, especially one with like really old footage. Like, you know, they seem so, you know, always eager and like the next thing in the new. And, you know, they're, they're also pretty averse to like navel gazing. Uh, I think it'd be sick, but I don't, I don't really see them doing like a, like making a like documentary about. I think it'd also be themselves. kind of boring. I don't know. <laughs> it'd probably be a lot of inside jokes backstage. And like, yeah, Noah shooting hoops or something. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think they'd be interested in that. I think that's what Oddsack became. Instead of making right. like a documentary, they decided to like make something more interesting to themselves. Yeah, it's like a visual album. As far as more archival stuff, I'm definitely excited for that. Um, I know Dave told us that he would love to, like they have a lot of stuff that has been released that they love to get out. It's just a matter of time and prioritizing things. As far as like more like video, yeah, I don't know if they've shot themselves. I mean, there's just so much online from fans, so many great YouTubes. Um, definitely a lot of time spent watching those. Um, yeah, I don't know. What a band. What is there really to say? Um, got into them same time you guys did. I was kind of a Meriwether baby. Uh, 2009 was my first year in college uh, in Chicago, uh, Columbia College. And... You know, that was that year was just kind of the crest of the indie rock golden era, you know, 2000s wave. And uh, one of the bands right on the top of that wave was Animal Collective. And that year, obviously, Meriwether was out um, and all the kind of parties that were going on around campus. And uh, yeah, with all the art school kids, that album, and especially My Girls, Summertime Clothes, Brother Sport, was uh, always playing in the background as we were drinking crappy, cheap PBRs. A lot of good memories with that album. And then from there, I just kind of dove into their discography. Um, and I think, you know, the, the albums that I connected with the most after getting into Meriwether and having it completely blow my mind and change my whole kind of idea of what recorded music could be like, um, the albums that I connected with most were Strawberry Jam, which I think is my number one favorite, which I'm really waiting for you guys to do an episode on. <laughs> so uh, get on that, please. <laughs> but uh, I also really loved um, the visual album Tangerine Reef, um, which came out a lot later, uh, even without the movie that goes along with it. I, I, I just, for some reason, really like that album. And of course, Feels, The Mighty Feels. And recently... Um, I kind of got into sung tongs for some reason. I never got past leaf house. I just kind of completely that album clicked with me last year. And so, yeah, but I mean, they're one of the greatest bands. I really think they're probably the greatest band of the, of the aughts, the two thousands, you know, from 2000 to 2009, I don't think anybody could really touch them as far as creativity and the prolific nature of their releases. They're just a really special band. And me being a musician, they've really influenced me as far as, you know, like um, sampling and uh, just the freedom and freewheeling nature of their discography and their approach. What do you call it? Their openness to change and uh, insistence on evolving with each release. So, yeah, um, love Animal Collective. Love what you guys are doing on Bonefish Pod. Hugely into it. And, uh, yeah, I would love to talk with you guys one time about uh, 
maybe strawberry jam hit me up right on man thanks uh strawberry jam coming soon hell yeah stick around stay tuned um yeah i um i feel like i have a lot of similar memories to merryweather too just a very fun time i think the general mood i think across the country had shifted with obama just being elected and kind of just graduating college so yeah i get yeah just being outside a lot being with friends it was beautiful cool thanks for sending that one in i don't know how much i have to say other than i was a freshman in college in 2008 i remember one of my sweet mates at the university of southern california his name is daniel he came to my dorm room and he said you should listen to this and he played Peace Bone by Animal Collective for me. And I remember listening to that song for the first time and feeling like my mind expanded. <laughs> there was me before I listened to that song. There was me after. And then I remember that winter break, freshman year at college, 2008-2009. I was home in my, my hometown in Massachusetts, driving around my my town with my brother, my younger brother, and listening to Meriwether Post Pavilion for the first time, specifically in the flowers, listening to that for the first time, and that same sort of feeling of mind expansion was so fucking intoxicating, and I knew I was going to listen to this band for the rest of my life, and that's it. Right on. Yeah. Uh, totally get that feeling. Um, I definitely, yeah, it's a feeling that comes around like really once in a lifetime. I feel like once every 10, 20 years where you just like, it's a, a total vibe shift. I know for me, I wasn't, I wasn't really listening to like music like this. Like I think I was like in more of like a indie rock, more traditional indie rock, folk rock, you know, yeah, Wilco headspace, which I love, but this was just like, I think I said this before, like, yeah, the, the, the scene in The Wizard of Oz where it's in Technicolor. Yeah, um, paradigm shifting for sure. Yeah, definitely mind expanding. And yeah, I mean, I remember a moment, and this was pretty early on in my my fandom where the first time I heard fireworks was them playing it live at Bonnaroo. Uh, yeah, June 2009. And that was a moment where it was like, wow, this feels like this is our music. It feels very modern. Um, and I remember just like looking around, like seeing like, yeah, young people, but also like older people, like like two older ladies, like smoking a joint who looked like they were probably at like Woodstock, like just jamming <laughs> out to the guitar solo and fireworks. And then there was like a big like geyser, like water fountain near the back of the crowd and just remember like jumping into that because um, it was so freaking hot in Tennessee um, and humid. Um, and, th- and I, yeah. And then I remember just going back into my tent and like going on my iPod and like finding fireworks and just listening to fireworks on repeat. Dang. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Hearing that for the first time in like a live setting would be, would be pretty incredible. Yeah. Excited to talk about. 
tracks on Strawberry Jam, fireworks yeah. included. We'll have to save those goodies. Yeah. That's a that's a really good like jammer track too. We were talking earlier about like oh, jam yeah. bandness. Like that I feel like that track, maybe I should save this for the strawberry jam episode, but sort of the way they return mm-hmm. to the first part, but in like a different meter, you know, is such a incredible and like psychedelic yeah. experience. And it's like the one like guitar solo, like yeah. Like long guitar solo, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Thank you. What's up, Boneheads? Hope you're having a great holiday break. Uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, whenever it is. You listen to this, it's your buddy Colin. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, great episode. I just finished the Painting With episode. Loved it. That is my favorite album. Uh, as Justin mentioned, I love that album. So I've seen Animal Collective, I don't know, 15 times. I've seen them so much. I love them. My favorite show was their second round of Painting With. So they did one tour of Painting With, and then they did another tour. And I caught them, I think, at the Observatory in Orange County. And I think what I realized at that show is something that they do a lot. They'll usually do, I think, two rounds of a tour where the first round is maybe you know, two-thirds new material, one-third old material. And then the second round is maybe the opposite, maybe one-third new material and then two-thirds old material. And um, they usually, you know, the way they do, they rework the songs. And I remember loving how they were reworking the Sung Tung song. Was it Holiday? They did something that was like halftime that just felt so filthy. And it was just really, it was really cool to see them reinterpret their own music. They do that a lot. Um... And it was really cool to see them reinterpret their own music through the, you know, the painting with setup that they had with the drummer, with the synths they were using. So here's my question for you guys. Assuming that they keep that going, and at some point we're going to get painting with reimagined on tour, what do you guys think that's going to sound like? Part of me is thinking it's going to be super hard because all the hawking that they're doing... To me, it feels like you got to be on your game. you got to be doing that every night. And if you're only doing pocketing like, three of your songs rather than, like, nine of your songs, technically it feels like more of a challenge. But also, those songs are just, they seem very distinct. Like, how would that work? What, what do you guys think? Do you think, uh, are you guys looking forward to seeing how they rework it? Do you think they will do that? I want to hear your thoughts. All right, see you guys. Thanks, Colin. Uh, you're a very brave man for saying that Painting With this is your favorite <laughs> album. Painting With reworked. Uh, Did they play any Painting With songs on uh, Time Skiffs tour? No, I don't think they've played them since the Painting With tour. Yeah. I think one day they will, definitely. Yeah, um, and I think will it, resurface. I think the sure. sound depends on what kind of musical headspace they're in for that era. So and I have no idea where they're going to go next. But it would be cool to see kind of more drawn out versions. Yeah. Maybe more, more jammy, less less immediate. Yeah. Versions yeah. of like, say, like Floridata. Like imagine Florida, Floridata being like a 10 minute ambient drone sing, <laughs> sing along or something. I don't know. Um, or on delay or. Yeah. That, that'll be interesting to hear when they reincarnate those songs. Yeah. Yeah, hard to say now because you could maybe kind of imagine what a 
sort of like full band time skips isn't it now era version of those sounds might sound like, but that's almost certainly not what they'll come back with next time around, right? Like they they seem pretty done with this period, so kind of hard to imagine what shape those uh, yeah. those tracks will take, but um, but fun to imagine nonetheless. Thanks, Colin. Hello, Christian and Justin. This is Sarah from Baltimore calling in. I'm a huge fan of the show, obviously. Uh, I was listening to your Painting With episode and some incredible serendipity was going on in that episode where Justin was talking about moving from the East Coast to California and using the Painting With tour as the sort of reason for making the trip. And it was very weird for me to listen to that episode because... Uh, well, he was telling my story um, <laughs> almost exactly. Uh, I was living in Baltimore, and I'd, I'd graduated college. Um, I, was, I was in Baltimore for a year living with my parents, and I knew that the next stage of my life, I wanted to move out to Los Angeles, California, but I didn't have any, you know, not that I didn't have motivation, but I didn't, I didn't have, like, a reason to go right now. I didn't have, like, a job lined up for me. It was very difficult to pull the trigger. And I used that show at the Fonda um, in Los Angeles as a motivator to leave and to leave on time. And I had actually hurt my back um, uh, leading up to the trip. I was delayed a little bit um, and in bed and I couldn't really like turn my head around. But I was so determined to go that like, you know, as, as soon as I could turn my head enough to like check the rear view mirror, I was gone and uh, made it to California like a day before that Fonda show. And the show was amazing. And I, I, uh, they played my favorite song, uh, Alvin Rowe, and it was just magical and um, saw some DJ sets after. So it's kind of funny that we had the, the same story going on and uh, that we were sort of in the same show experiencing similar things at the same time um, through our favorite band. Uh, so that was just very, very cool. Um, I'm actually moved back to Baltimore now. It's um, cool It's cool both places, but uh, you know, I do see Deacon here uh, a lot more than I saw any other uh, members uh, over there because he just he's just around. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for the podcast. And uh, keep keep turning them out. I'm excited for every new episode. Peace. Wow, Sarah, glad you <laughs> went through with the move. Um, that's that's awesome. Animal Collective keeping people in LA. <laughs> Animal Collective making people you know just commit to their goals. Um, yeah. And that's cool that we uh, hey you know maybe we cross paths at that show. Um, yeah, that version of Alvin Roy was awesome. I remember that. Um, I did meet like some of my best friends at that show. Um, actually Colin, who Colin, who, uh, talked about the painting with live songs. Uh, I met, we just happened to sit next to each other at that show and he started talking to me and, uh, he was with, uh, my now buddy Blake. And, uh, ever since then, yeah, we, we, uh, became, uh, pretty, pretty tight, ended up going to his wedding. So yeah, that's why we do this, man. Bringing Animal people Collective, together. Bringing people together. 
Pretty cool. I love that idea too of like using a show as motivation to be somewhere. Cause like what's better than like seeing your favorite band live, you know, like you will, you will move heaven and earth to do that. Even if like yeah. you can't really muster up the motivation to do yeah. other things. So. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, being in LA for three weeks day after the show. Uh, I think I can move back now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> move back across the country, but no, still here. Right on. Thank you, Sarah. Hey, what's up, Bonefish Podcast? Christian and Justin. My name is Hayes Dowdy, and this is my Animal Collective story. So I've been reminiscing on the times I've met members of Animal Collective in person. One story in particular is rather embarrassing for me to look back on. I can't help but just laugh about it now, though. And there's a second story a few years later that ties them in together. So check it out. It was a 2011 A.V. Tear solo gig at the now-closed U Street Music Hall in D.C. in support of Down There. So keep in mind, this was fall 2011. Tomboy had only been out for a few months, and Meriwether Post Pavilion was only out for two years at this point. So they were still indie darlings, if you will. Anyways, I was a 17-year-old introvert, so I was very quiet, I was very shy, totally awkward, and if there was anybody remotely famous around, I was just going to completely shut down. And I came to the show with my own CD of originals that was like straight out of the LimeWire era, covered in black Sharpie, blank CD, just looked like complete crap. So after the show, Geologist came out and several fans were excitedly hovering around him asking questions. With my Sharpie covered demo in hand, I mustered all my courage and walked over to stand 15 feet away from Geologist as I nervously admired him from afar, waiting for my moment to enter the conversation. I remember there was one guy in particular who looked just like Mystery from the pickup artist if he was a hippie. Like he had this huge, fuzzy, tie-dyed pimp hat on, this tall, lanky white guy talking Geologist's ear off, and I could tell Geologist's eyes were starting to wander around a bit. Once there was a break in conversation, Geologist was so nice, made eye contact with me, and said hi while extending his hand to shake mine. Instead of shaking hands like a polite adult should, I abruptly placed my crappy-looking blank CD that had black Sharpie all over it directly into Geologist's open hand, and I muttered something like, thank you for the sweet music. I remember he was definitely surprised, and he probably laughed about it with A.V. in the green room. So fast forward a few years later to a Painting With Era Animal Collective DJ set that was also at U Street Music Hall, and I had a chance to redeem myself. So this is 2016, 2017 now, and when they used to play in D.C., they'd play at 930 Club and then have an after-party DJ set at U Street Music Hall, which is what this was. The DJ set ended. Security was telling people to leave. I thought I had lost my chance to properly introduce myself to Animal Collective until A.V. Terror walked out onto the floor. So I went up to him and said something casual but more confident, like, Six set, I'm a huge fan. And he very kindly said, hey, thanks, I'm Dave, by the way, and extended his hand to shake mine. And in that moment, it's like time stopped and I had a flashback to handing Geologist my Sharpie demo instead of shaking his hand. And everything slowed down and was in slow motion. 
like it was just Avi and I standing in U Street. So having learned my lesson the hard way years before with geologists, this time I shook Avi's hair's hand like an adult properly introducing themselves should, and I was very pleased with my behavior this time around. While I doubt geologists and Avi remember, for me, it was a prime example of a learning experience and how to utilize proper etiquette when formally introducing yourself to people. So that's it. Thank you guys. I love your podcast. I love what you guys are doing. And I look forward to your future episodes. I'll see you around out there. Bye. 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 Bang up job, Hayes. Thank you, Hayes. Um, Justin, do you have any like, uh, like sort of cringe stories of like meeting? Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I've got a few. Let's hear, ne- let's hear some. Never meet your heroes, guys. <laughs> never meet your heroes. Um, I actually did say hi to Dave once um, at a club in LA called Zebulon. Uh, uh, so he was I, performing. I he was not performing. Uh, okay. He was just there, like drinking a beer with some pals or something, and. Um, I think I just said like thanks for your music, and then he was like, "Thanks, hey, I'm Dave," you know. Um, and then we there was like a few minutes of awkward waiting in line, bathroom banter mm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, got him in line for the bathroom, <laughs> so he's trapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I trapped him. I, I chloroformed him. Um, I didn't tell I didn't tell Dave that when we interviewed him. I should have. Yeah. But um, uh, and I don't think you remember me. I don't think so at all. But um. I do have like uh, a really kind of funny uh, story when I met Connor Oberst. Hit me. Uh, I think it was before an Alex G show. I was like by myself drinking a beer and uh, I look over and it's Connor Oberst and Phoebe Bridgers. And I'm like, all right, cool. Um, this is like before Phoebe Bridgers like blew up. I don't know. And Connor was like, started walking by me and I go up to him like, Hey man, cheers. Just want to let you know that I still listen to your music. <laughs> and immediately I was like, fuck. And he's, he was just so nice. He's like, Oh, Hey, thanks man. And that's not what I wanted to say. I just, my intention was to just to be like, you know, like I just love your music yeah. through all the years, you I know, still listen, like, bro. even though, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, even though I'm a grown ass man, this is the implication that like most people still don't listen to your music. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe that like, uh, Despite you, it maybe sucking, I still listen to it, which I don't think. Or like it sucks. maybe like people listen to him in like high school, and then like maybe kind of grow out of it. Maybe is how I would. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, after that, I was like, bro, you got to slow down with like talking to 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 the people that you admire. I mean, I think I've gotten a little better at it, um, but um, I totally get it. Yeah. Also, Hayes, I was at that U Street AV show Crazy. in 2011. That was a great show. Those were all like unreleased AV songs just after down there Damn. that we should maybe do a pot on one day. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, anyway. All right. Um, That's funny. I'm done talking about my cringe moments. Yeah. I feel like I like, I've definitely have had some cringe ones. Um, I mean, like, I feel like, yeah, maybe because of the like earlier cringe ones, I now like air on the other side of being like so hands off that like, I kind of like regret it later. Like, like when I interviewed Noah for uh, Song Exploder, you know, I like I love him and and his music has meant a ton to me. But but I like played it pretty cool. Like we we had a chance mm-hmm. to chat a bit after, and um, we like talked about soccer, like Portuguese soccer, and uh, 
and uh, I, I had just seen him at the lodge room like the night before. That's like, the move. You talk about stuff that's other than their profession. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So maybe I, I mean, you know, I still asked for like a picture with him, like got one. And um, so that's not like a cringe one, but that's maybe one where I'm like, dang, like we were just chilling. I probably should have like maybe tried to talk more. But uh, I have one that comes to mind uh, when I was in high school and I saw the band Block Party, who I like, mm. they were my favorite band at the time, like worshiped them. Um, I would go to shows at this place called Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I had to drive like an hour and a half to get to. Mm. And uh, it's this it's a pretty cool old country ballroom. It's in this weird sort of like desolate district. Is it on the strip there, like the of Tulsa? Well, so what I realized years and years later is that it's actually like this ballroom was built on the site of the Tulsa Wall Street massacre. Like the Black Wall Street there. Oh yikes! Yeah, like I and it was sort of a dark realization that this place I grew up like going to hang out at and see shows was like also the site of this horrible American atrocity that like I didn't even learn about it in school despite growing up like an hour away from this place. But wow. um, but that's why this district was like so kind of industrial and desolate because it was all built up around this thing. But anyway. I go to this venue all the time, you know, I would show up early and like, I knew, I kind of like knew the move of like how to try and like meet someone. Like I would get there early enough. Me and my friends would be waiting outside. We'd literally hear them sound checking inside. And then when the sound check ended, that's when, you know, that's when you knew to like, all right, they're going to like maybe go try to find a bite to eat somewhere. Like, let's like walk around the streets, um, see if we can find them. Um, and so I took off by myself after their, uh, sound check ended. I had a vinyl record of their second album, Weekend in the City. And this is like pretty pre-vinyl, like boom. Like my my girlfriend at the time had like been in Europe and bought this vinyl for me. I didn't even have a record player, but I like had this. So anyway, I was just like strolling down these empty, like desolate streets of Tulsa, literally not a soul in sight. And then two of the members of the band like came around the corner and they see this like kid by himself standing there with a vinyl record of theirs. <laughs> it was just like, oh, hey guys. And they were like, oh, oh, hey, weird. <laughs> like, And they were also like pretty weirded out by how like quiet and empty this like downtown area of this city oh, really? was. Uh, and I, I have no idea like what I said or anything, but I just remember being like, seeing the kind of look of like shock on their faces. You know, these are like two British dudes in like middle of nowhere, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not weird to like run into a fan of yours, but I remember being really excited that it worked out. Like I got him to sign my record and everything, but also being like, it was probably pretty weird for them. <laughs> yeah, it was probably a lot of, uh, yeah, very jarring. But that's cool. Didn't seem that bad. Didn't seem like it was that I don't cringe. know. It's always worse in your mind, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, just forget about it, Hayes. You know, they definitely don't remember it. Uh, don't don't dwell on the past. Hey, Bonefish Pod, this is Rod in Baltimore. I make Animal Collective-inspired music under the name Unreliable Narrator, and I'm responding to the prompt about a time that Animal Collective blew my mind. I was probably an Animal Collective fan for 15 years before discovering the Water Curses EP, and now Water Curses is one of my all-time favorite songs, Animal Collective or otherwise. I think it so perfectly synthesizes everything that Animal Collective is good at. And from a music theory perspective, the blending of the triple and duple meter, the modulation between sections, that synth guitar thing Deacon does throughout, I just think it is such a cool track. And only Animal Collective would have buried it on a strange EP like Water Curses. 
Oh, Animal Collective. Anyways, thanks. Hot track. Hot track. Really hot track. They be doing that. Putting good ass tracks on EPs. Why not? Why not? Go fish, you know. So I was listening to one of the early Tomboy boots last night, Primavera 2010. And the Shahara's out on there is so cool. Because um, they do like, he kind of like fakes you out with the, the surfer's name intro. And then they end up playing Shahrazad. And the the King Tubby sample that they put in Mercury Man is playing throughout the whole thing. And it sounds so sick. And uh, it made me think a lot about how like Tomboy kind of feels like it kind of bridges the gap between like Meriwether and Son of Pete Hurts. At least for me, like, I don't know, that whole era of material feels pretty similar to both. Yeah, I thought that was so sick to hear that sample being used early on. And I think there might be a couple other examples of just like samples in that set that he would use in like later stuff and his solo stuff or like band stuff. But it's probably my favorite Tomboy boot. So good. The last message I sent you guys, I was actually listening to Tomboy last night, and you can hear um, in Shahrazad, you can hear the, um, the Mercury Man sample from the live versions. It's on the studio version too, for like a split second. And there's so many like filters, and like there's obviously like a lot more tracks on the actual studio version, and like he fucks with it so much that you can barely tell. But like right at the last chorus, there's like two little like almost like metal like industrial like sort of reverberated noises and that's uh it's from the sample it's so fucking hard to explain though because it's like filtered as fuck but it's so cool that like i wonder how many other anko songs have used like the same scent if there's like a sample that has appeared on more than one or some shit i think that's so cool Yeah, I think that King Tubby sample is also in the transverse temporal gyrus. Oh yeah, um, recordings. The thing they did I, at the Guggenheim. Guga, yeah, the I Guggenheim. think. I think about the Guggenheim. <laughs> yeah, the Google Googly Guggenheim. Guggenheim. Um, I think it's in there too. But other reoccurring samples. Yeah, good call. I'd have to think about that one. Yeah, um, I want to find that boot too. Drop it in. Sounds sick. I love the Governor's Ball one. I was at that show. It was on the anniversary of 9-11, so they had the lights going up into the into the sky. Damn. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that was that was a great show. Um, another great great era, which we'll talk about in uh, in more detail soon. One day. Sorry, I like just woke up, but um, yeah. So like. March 2022 
Uh, the second time I ever saw it, Anko. I was just telling somebody about this. The encore was was the fucking magicians from Baltimore into screens into Forever in Green, which is like the craziest sh- encore ever. Uh, it might be like the best encore they've ever done. That was the first time I heard magicians ever, um, which is like my favorite song from isn't it now and time skips combined honestly it's like my favorite song in this whole era but those snare hits in the beginning of the song were so fucking loud they like shook the whole room like i i felt them like vibrate like in my body it was so crazy and i was so nervous that they wouldn't be able to pull that off in studio but they totally did it totally thank you carol yeah what a what a three song run uh, yeah, magicians, screens into Reverend Green. Screens, man, I'm so glad that that has made its way into their live sets. That is a top Panda Bear track. I love that song. Yeah, love that song. This is Justin, but not the same Justin that hosts this podcast. Um, Animal Collective has not changed my life, and it makes me sad that they haven't because I know how important they are. To some of my close friends, to be honest, they may have changed my life for the worse <laughs> because I had this sort of, you know, I think a lot of white people have this anxiety that, you know, white people don't have soul or there's just something that's kind of lesser than about, you know, whites or white culture. And when I heard Animal Collective for the first time, I just thought, man, what a sort of awkward racket. Like, is this the music that lives inside the hearts? of college-educated white men. And, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it might be. Um, you know, you take that, whatever that sort of agitated, awkward, salvia-high spirit is, and then you turbocharge it with psychedelics. And it just, I don't think it, 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 it makes me a little bit worried on an existential level. <laughs> nice. Uh, Thanks for that spicy mailbag. <laughs> Justin, do you feel white anxiety? White anxiety? <laughs> I mean, yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's funny because I actually think their music is actually like very soulful and spiritual. Yeah, um, clearly influenced by a lot of indigenous and... Yeah, and... Um, you know, that's a whole other topic. Like, you know, um, I think all music kind of has been lifted from, I mean, black music, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, for sure. So, I mean, it's a complicated question. I mean, um, I can speak as a white person, um, but, uh, you know, I think art, like, deserves to live on its own, you know. And um, I think the cool thing about art is it's shared and passed down. Um, but yeah, there's ways that it can really just come off badly. I think, I think this band, um, came of age at a certain time, um, where listening habits changed and there was like a lot of musical influence, you know, with the internet and they were kind of record store nerds. So yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, animal collective being an awkward racket. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't hear that, like, <laughs> which is funny because I know Justin and I love Justin. Shout out to Justin. I also know Justin listens to like 
other bands that I would think are also an awkward racket. So does he like Animal Collective? I think he's trying. I think we're trying. We're trying. Um, right. We've been trying to get other Justin into Animal Collective. Um, but yeah, what do, what do you think of this idea of Animal Collective hashtag too white? Uh, doesn't really resonate with me, to be honest. Um, I certainly have white guilt that takes some forms, but not really in the areas of uh, <laughs> like musical enjoyment or identifying with artists that make art that I like. You know, I, I think if something were inauthentic about it, uh, I would. And maybe that's where sort of some of his consternation stems from is if he doesn't even, if he's trying to like this band and feels awkward about it, then yeah, I don't know. Don't force it. Uh, I guess maybe go listen to yeah. Wu-Tang or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we're also um, two white guys doing this podcast, so we don't want to, I guess, speak for other people, you know? Of course um, not. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting how other people hear things. I mean, I totally get how people might be turned off by this band, but then I also just don't get it because yeah, uh, I love this music. So, I mean, I, I think the way I, I don't really... I can kind of see the the awkward kind of uh, frenetic, like we're almost trying too hard hipster vibe of, of Animal Collective. But to me, I hear it more as like very adventurous, like loving, like deeply spiritual music. Yeah, I've, it's funny. I've never really gotten that whole like hipster Animal Collective thing. Like Same. Like, I don't, you know. I guess it's because we're hipsters. Growing up listening to like the Strokes and stuff, like those are like the cool guys. Like, right. I mean, maybe you could argue that the rise of Animal Collective and like the coverage they received in places like Pitchfork sort of gave rise to this thing. But like the dudes are freaks. Like they got famous for being like, not really, caring. Not, and being not cool. Like, not cool. <laughs> doing not, what they did when they did. And was not really knowing not what cool. kind of image they wanted to put out into yeah. the media. Like, I mean, they were wearing masks, they were trying to. Yeah. really detach themselves from their their identities like from their <laughs> from themselves as people like they tried to really put you outside of themselves and put you really somewhere else where i think that you know that's that's what was really cool where you're really just trying to think about or just get lost in the music and not who's making this music whether it's yeah. somebody who's white black purple um or whatever the fuck, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, not sure what to tell you, Justin. Um, don't keep trying, feel, bro. Don't keep. feel bad about being white, I guess. Uh, <laughs> don't think too much about all of that. And um, yeah, just like what you like. Be authentic. And, uh, you know, coolness is having courage. Courage to do what's right. I will say, I know Justin loves Radiohead, as do I. And I think Christian... And if this were a Radiohead podcast, I don't think Justin would be saying the same thing because he could also say Radiohead is very anxiety-driven slash also an awkward racket. Yeah. Maybe, you know, the sort of uh, overtly happy, optimistic vibe of Animal Collective is what turns Justin off, maybe. Um, also, if this is the music that lives in the hearts and minds of college-educated white liberals, what's wrong with that? 
<laughs> if that's a if it's a yeah. true feeling that resonates with people of our think, particular subset. Like, I mean, yeah, I think. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, this is just like the conversation that's been happening everywhere, and it's kind of this worry about the impact of of art and and what it has on society instead of like just enjoying it, you know? Sure. Or what's the impact of this information, you know? Yeah. Um, how is it going to be received? You know, is it dangerous? Like, I'm just kind of tired of that. I don't totally. know. It's kind of, art is art for a reason, you know? Yeah. And maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some connection there to the earlier conversation about Pitchfork and stuff. Like, remember when we talked to Mark again, you you, you praised him for being like a, like a purist in terms of music reviews. And like, yeah. And there's also a lot of discussion when, when news that Pittsburgh was shutting down about people who are like, yeah, you know what? I love music. I don't really read a lot of music criticism. Don't need to. I just listen to it. If I like it, I keep listening. If I exactly. don't, I don't. Like, there's, there's a lot of people out there who don't think about this stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably do. And we understand that that's a lot of fun. Um, and as much as we like to dissect things and, and think about their meaning and maybe their political impact, I also kind of try not to, uh, you know, I, I also just, um, just try to appreciate music for the way it yeah. just feels and moves me and, and goes through me. And that's why when I, yeah, when I told Mark, like, it wasn't a knock to say that he kind of focused music just on the sonic aspects you know, and no, not no. Uh, not on whether it's cool or it's or it's connection to modern society or yeah, whatnot, or, the, or, or the whatever narrative or identity. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think you know, if you're on Twitter, you're going to be thinking about those things, but most people don't care about that. Yeah, don't have feelings about your feelings. <laughs> Blow your fucking brains out that way. <laughs> Thanks, other Justin. Hey guys, big fan of the pod. I uh, actually. Grew up in Howard County and Baltimore County, Maryland, sort of where the Animal Collective guys are from. I was in high school uh, in 2009 when Meriwether dropped. I first heard My Girls and In the Flowers on the Alien Workshop skate video Minefield. Jake Johnson skated to My Girls and Jason Dill skated to In the Flowers. And I was like, what is this music these guys are skating to? Had to look it up. Ended up finding, you know, it was kind of a journey to be like, oh my God, this music's so cool. Oh my God, these guys are from where I uh, grew, or they grew up where I'm from. And then uh, I was going to concerts at Meriwether Post Pavilion when that album dropped and picked that up and kind of got into them around, again, 2009, 2010. Um, so ended up getting cut off, so I'll try to make this a bit shorter. Um, just some cool stories. Got to go to the, I believe, debut pop-up show for AV Tears Slasher Flicks. They announced it like on Facebook at some small venue in Baltimore called the Metro Gallery, I believe, and got to meet AV. Um, I was lucky enough to see them perform at Meriwether uh, when they were touring. I believe I saw them... I know I saw them with Black Dice opening, and Black Dice terrified my friend that I bought uh, brought with me for that show. And then I saw them open for Fleet Foxes at Meriwether, weirdly enough. 
Um, most recently saw Panda and Sonic Boom at the 930 Club, which was in- incredible and was also lucky enough to be at their recording of their live album at the 930 Club, which was, I mean, their performance of Purple Bottle at that show, like, changed my life. The energy was insane. So, yeah, wanted to keep it kind of short, but um, I, uh, I've i been a... a a fan of them as long as I've known about them and uh, actually just recently got a copy of Odd Sack for Christmas, which I watched. It holds up. It's still incredible. Um, so, yeah, hope uh, hope that's some some cool little notes for you guys. If, uh, if there's anything more I can give you, I'd love to talk more. I love Animal Collective. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for uh, for doing this. I think it's really cool. And like I said, I love the pod. Thanks for writing in, dude. Uh, yeah, a lot of... Um Merryweather babies. Yeah. Uh, voice memoing in. Cool. Yeah. Makes sense. We found, our, we found our people. So too many moments to count. Let's throw off a few. AV scream in grass. Watching the man of oil making of Doc and seeing AV shaking his leg with those like some sort of percussive. You know what I'm talking about. And then honestly, just getting Animal Collective to open me up to so many different like facets of music. Now that I can accept some of their ambient stuff, I was listening to see what Lou Reed has, Metal Machine music, that kind of stuff. I can accept these things a little more and challenge my brain. So I think it's just the t- how they blew my mind is opening me up to accept my mind being blown just with more things into the world. So thanks, guys. Love the pod. It's so sick. Just keep it up, man. You guys are doing great. Thanks, thanks man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, that uh, Vice doc of them doing um, mm-hmm. Meeting of the Waters is tight. That sort was of, really cool. Sort of a little uh, under-the-radar gem. Yeah, that one's like in one of their, like, it's got a lot of streams. Oh, it's yeah. Like man there. of Oil is and one I of their most streamed subs, yeah. And I think it's probably because of the Vice... Well, it's just Doc. super accessible. Yeah. I mean, I think it I mean, comes yeah, up a, on people's playlists, and there's like, oh, I like this shit. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's got a catchy. It's a catchy song. Um, yeah, real cool. Av and Geo collab. Yeah, on that one. Yeah, basically performed live too. It sounds like. I always think of that when I hear that song. He's talking about is that line? I woke to sweats in the night. Strange sensation to feel alive and. Maybe it's just because I'm on a cannabis break at the moment, but you know how like you stop smoking weed and you like dreams come back really intense. Mm-hmm. You have like night sweats. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever experienced that, but I've definitely been in that yeah. zone this month. And I just think of like, you know, A V Terra being in the Amazon <laughs> without without grass and <laughs> going through a detox a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I've been there. That does it for the voice memos. Thanks again so much to everyone who uh, took the time. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone who sent one uh, is represented in this episode. If, if I missed you, apologies. But um, yeah, that was really fun listening to what you guys had to say. Definitely do another one of those uh, in the future at some point. But yeah, till next time. Justin, anything, anything you want to add? No, thanks for sending stuff in. Right on. Well, 
Take it easy, everyone. This has been Bonefish. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. That's at BonefishPod. And yeah, more stuff cooking on the way. So watch this space. Peace. Later. Bone fed. Bone fed. Bone fed.